This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. Hey, thank you. And thank you, everybody that's here, all four of our visitors. And thank you, everybody at home that's watching. I'm so pleased to be able to share this message with you. Uh, I want to comment on that song because uh, I thought about how that song really spoke to me about my life and about how uh, the first half of my, actually, I, let's say the first third, the first 40 years. <laughs> the first 40 years were all about, you know, the intellect and the ego, and it worked. My life went pretty well, but it was a lot harder than it had to be. I worked harder, I played harder, and I didn't recognize that it was so much easier to find wisdom once you find your spirituality. I didn't have that spirituality at that time. I did have a few things that made me successful in business. I knew, for example, that business in business, it's win-win. I knew to try and hire the smartest people and let them work with me and to give them credit for everything they did. And in my business life, I was very successful. But guess what? I didn't recognize that at home you could do the same things. It could work the same way. So I had two failed marriages in the first 40 years of my life. And I have to say that up until I found unity and recognized what spirituality could do for me in terms of enhancing what I already knew. I knew positive thinking, but I didn't know how powerful it could be. I didn't know that when you connected positive thinking to spirituality, it's a thousand times more powerful. It resonates with spirit. That's what spirit is, all positive, all love, throughout the cosmos. Negative thinking, guess what it draws? So what I didn't know my first 40 years uh, were a number of things. The fir- and see if you relate to this. The first 40 years, I didn't realize that I had chosen my life circumstances to be born into, that I had chosen my parents, and that I had a a really kind of a rough path forward, not absolutely fixed, but I came here to accomplish some things. And here's the thing I learned as well that changed everything. And the reason I learned this is because I recognized through an astral experience where I was out of body, and a near-death experience where I was out of body, that I'm not my body. I am consciousness that exists outside of my body regardless of whether or not I'm in the physical realm. And that changed everything for me too. I had a lot of experiences that uh, I uh, wrote about in my book Flash that was mentioned last week, which motivated me to talk about that this week. And a lot of them were near misses. And I thought about why I'm still here when the odds of my being here are so long. And what I came up with is that we not only choose when we come in, we choose our circumstances, time and place to leave and to transition again to pure positive energy. And so that was a revelation to me. And a lot of these uh, revelations were part of what unity brought to me but it wasn't until then that they, they really became so clear, so crystal clear and changed my life in amazing ways. What I didn't know was that thoughts 
become things. And so if you're thinking positive thoughts, you get positive things into your life. If you're thinking negative thoughts, negative things are attracted into your life. Uh, I didn't realize that miracles are the commonplace of being. And I know a lot of us can relate to that because we've had so many miracles in our life. I didn't know something else that was really important to me. That is friendships, how important friendships are and connections with other people. Uh, until I remember reading a book and this statement, this one sentence in there, has stayed with me the rest of my life, and I read this 40 years ago in Illusions by Richard Bach. He said, when it comes to friends, there's no such place as far away. And I thought about all my travels in this last 40 years, all around the world, uh, meeting people in every country, in every hemisphere, uh, and connecting in deep ways through not only experiences in business, but in experiences in bonding with adventures that continued in my travels. And those bonding experiences created a connection that's always there. And I can think about a friend that I've met anywhere. It can be India, it can be in China, it can be in Nepal, it can be wherever. And immediately, I feel that connection. And oftentimes, what'll happen is, within the next day or week or month, I'll get a email, I'll get a text, I'll get a phone call, I'll get something that reconnects us again. And it's just serendipity. Uh, what our thoughts are about our friends affects them. It doesn't matter if they're next to us sitting in a chair, like you are, Naomi, or like you are, Victor, or whoever, or if they're across the other side of the world. When we start thinking of them and send them blessings, it affects their lives in ways we may not know but it does affect their lives. And so uh, I thought about how many friends I've made along the way and the adventures I've had with them and how it's bonded me with them. And I know Jane mentioned that I was gonna talk a little bit about some of those adventures because she liked to hear the stories and some others did too. So I'm gonna tell you uh, at least one, and hopefully we won't run out of time, uh, but this particular one is with one of the uh, young men that was living in Sao Paulo at the time, but he was originally born in Finland, and then when he was just a year or two old, his father moved him to Sao Paulo in Brazil. And so he grew up there, learned the language. He spoke Finnish at home and Portuguese uh, in his life and school and everything else. So then he learned English, and he learned it really well. Then he learned Spanish, and he learned that really well. So here he had all these skills uh, and he was still only like 20 years old when I first met him. Uh, his father had just assigned him to go with me uh, to uh, a mine called the Santa Lucretia Mine in uh, Para in northern Brazil. And so we flew from Sao Paulo to Belém, which is at the mouth of the Amazon. And we arrived there on a Saturday. And Saturday evening, we decided to go for a walk around town. And as we went by the desk, uh, the desk uh, manager said, where are you going? We said, we're just gonna take a walk. He says, you do know that even though Belem means Bethlehem, this is kind of a lawless town and uh, there's muggings that are going on and so you wanna be, and he planted all these negative thoughts, right? And so I was immediately using the prayer of protection. I said, okay, I know what I've learned in Unity, the prayer of protection. And he said, just take about $10, put it in your shirt pocket, 
put the rest of your money in your socks, put your shoes back on, and then go out. And you'll be okay. If somebody approaches you and it looks threatening, just take your $10 and hand it to them and say, this is what I brought for you. And so we went out and uh, we went to this beautiful uh, garden that had all these beautiful water lilies and flowers and trees, and it was a, a park. And we had to pay a little bit to get in the entrance, and Ossie had all his camera equipment with him. He's taking all these pictures. He's loving it. And then he runs out of film. This is a while back when you still used film, right? <laughs> so as we come out of this park, uh, the attendant that's taking the tickets, uh, Ossie says to him, you know, is there any place where I can buy film? And he said, you know, Saturday evening, I, I don't know when you'd, where you'd find, oh, I do know a photographer friend of mine. I'll fix you up. So he calls a taxi that's sitting there, says something to him, puts us in the back seat, and sends us off. And the taxi driver drives us to this house and says, you get out here. We get out, and immediately he peels out. And around the corner, half a block away, comes a gang of about 10, 15 young men running at us at full speed. And I said, Ossie, drop your camera and run. And <laughs> Ossie won't drop his camera. And I'm, I'm running ahead of him, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, what am I going to do right now? I'm going to be thinking about practicing the presence. Somehow, some way, this is going to turn out okay. And I kept looking back, and Ossie's getting further behind me, and they're catching up. I said, something's got to, and bingo, right in front of us, a door opens. This lady says, come in, quick. We go in, and she has this big iron gate that she closed with massive locks on it. And she says, just stay here for a few minutes, or even 20 minutes, they'll be gone. They'll find another target. And it was just like that, almost the moment that I thought about practicing the presence, this door opened. And that's the way it works. That's literally the way it works. So Ossie and I got on the plane the next day, which is uh, a corporate plane. There was no other way to get to uh, the Amazon uh, it was a mine in the middle of the Amazon, a bauxite mine. And so they flew us in there, and when we get there, they put us into this Quonset hut-type hotel, motel, you call it, in the jungle. And all of the electricity is running around the eaves through these insulators and the bare wires running through them. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is really quaint. <laughs> well, it was more than quaint. The next morning, when Ossie got in the shower and turned it on, it turns out the 220 volts were wrapped around the shower head to heat the shower. And he got zapped with 220 volts and knocked him down. And he called me probably 10 minutes later when he came to and said, I, I, I can hardly get up. I went in and helped him. We got, a, got him up. And by midday, he was running a fever of 105. And he was delirious. Now, this is a Brazilian. He should be okay in Brazil. He's not. He's having this reaction, some kind of fever. So we take him to the dispensary, and they, they sit him down. He's, he's babbling co incoherently. And the doctor, uh, the mining doctor that was at the mine, uh, pulls out this big needle filled with all kinds of liquid. And I said, what are you giving him? He said, a, a cocktail. He said, there's so many different possibilities in the jungle. It could be anything. So here's the cocktail, bingo. And he shoots him up with this. And within the next day, Ossie is fine. Uh, Ossie and I uh, got together again just a year ago uh, in Denver. He and his wife and Joanna and I flew into Denver, and they rented a Jeep, and we drove all over and reminisced. And that's how it goes with friends, no matter how long you've been apart. That was 20 years ago, and it was just like yesterday. 
And Aussie is now selling for a different supplier than used to be where, where I worked, where we worked together. Uh, I had uh, mentored him for many years and he became a sales manager for South America. And now he's working with an alternate supplier. So what? You know, there's room for everybody, there's room for everything. Uh, it's not like you need to have competition. It just adds to the possibilities to have more available products. And that's the way I looked at it with him. Uh, there's no reason we couldn't remain friends. And I have uh, another friend. Uh, how's my time? <laughs> uh, I've got a few more minutes. So I have another friend I'll tell you about. His name is uh, uh, Ingo Steinhag. Sorry, that took a moment because his name is not rolling off my tongue quite as easily. But Ingo Steinhag. Ingo uh, is from South Africa. And uh, Ingo and I uh, had uh, some good adventures together. Uh, we did a lot of work together, but one of the adventures was uh, on the Serengeti, another was Ngorongoro Crater, walking among lions and things like that. Uh, but this isn't the story of that. This is the next visit where I flew to Cape Town, and we were driving up to Namibia to the Black Swan Mine. Uh, and what I do in mines is I bring along equipment that helps them surgically delineate where the ore is, so they don't have to blow up lots of different places and make a mess, so to speak. So the whole purpose of our analytical equipment is to make the world cleaner, healthier, and safer, safer by looking at soil and seeing what elements are in there, looking at compounds and seeing what uh, chemicals are in there, and flagging the dangerous ones. They're called spectrometers. So we were heading up to this mine with our handheld spectrometer, and we're driving through from Cape Town to Namibia, and we cross the border, uh, and we're about halfway to the mine, probably three hours into the drive, and it's a sand road. And Ingo just talks and talks and talks. He's so much fun to be around. He just talks and talks. And uh, he was talking like that, and his hands were going, and all of a sudden, a curve ahead, he didn't notice it. And the next thing you know, He's slamming on the brakes too, too hard, and we're spinning round and round and round. There's these cliffs on one side going straight up, and a drop-off on the other side, and all these monkeys up there chattering. And uh, so I could immediately feel that, you know, everything was going crazy. I didn't know what was happening. And the first thing I, I did is I saw light in my head. That is God. That light in my head is God. That light, and I put it into my heart as we're spinning. And we came to a stop, and I said to Ingo, that was interesting. And he said, Jim, look over here. He says, we are right on the edge. We could have been off that cliff. Uh, what, why are you so cool about it? And I said, uh, Ingo, think about it. You're okay. I'm okay. The car's okay. We're facing the right direction still, after three times around, and we've only lost about 60 seconds. So how, what's the problem right now? And he said, you're absolutely right. Let's go. And off we went. And that was the end of it. And every time I talk to Ingo, he reminds me of that. <laughs> he was, I even remember the car. It was a white uh, Hyundai Sonata. Uh, just the, the, the most fun, in a, in a way, just thinking about spinning around like that, almost being like on a ride uh, without any sense of danger. So those are the kinds of things that uh, life has taught me in terms of 
my spirituality is to connect to the practice of the presence. Every opportunity, uh, I think about it as something that has to be uh, a habit. It has to be a habit. You, you get to the point where you're thinking about knowing that that God presence is in your heart. And as you know that it's in your heart, and you keep that there all the time, you recognize it's there all the time, you're prepared for anything that bring, life brings along. And life brings along lots of opportunities to use this. No matter who you are or where you're going, whether you're traveling around the globe or you're traveling shopping, uh, there's always something that's going to occur. It may be winter sliding around a corner or whatever it is. And you immediately picture God in place of the problem. And you will be amazed at the miracles that occur in your life. So uh, my message, bottom line, is keep that practice as your mainstay in life. Never let it go. Every day, every hour, every minute, I would say every second, except that probably the better way to say it is live in the now and have that presence with you in the now, the eternal now. And that's how we get through life uh, without any drama that we can't get through. And life brings drama, no doubt about it. And so uh, I'm going to close with some words from Brother Lawrence. Uh, I don't know how many of you out there have read about Brother Lawrence, but he always practiced the presence. That was his thing. He would uh, practice the presence while he was doing dishes, while he was preparing food, while he was meditating. Anything he was doing, he was constantly practicing the presence. And so Brother Lawrence, here's what he had to say. I am doing now what I will do for all eternity. I am blessing God, praising him, adoring him, and loving him with all my heart. So go forth and practice with all your heart, mind, and soul. And so it is.